Father, this morning, we pray that you would bless your word. You would anoint it both to preach and to hear. Your name would be glorified. You would do a mighty work in lives and hearts in this room. In Jesus' precious name, everyone said, Amen. I want to speak this morning on uh, the title is When Victory is Delayed. When Victory is Delayed. We have a wonderful assurance through God's Word that when all of life's struggles are over, very simply this morning, we win. You're in Christ, we win. Praise the Lord. He is the great victor this morning, and if you're with Him, and you're in Him, and you're seated with Him in the end, Praise God this morning, the church of Jesus Christ is victorious. That is all because of the wonderful work of the cross. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 2 and verse 14, that through his death he would destroy him, that is the devil, that had the power of death, that Jesus Christ destroyed him, that is the devil, that had the power of death. From that time on to this day, there has been a warfare that has been waged against the church of Jesus Christ. It's ongoing, and it will be ongoing until Christ comes. One of the great men of God, Brother Clendenin, said these words, no matter how dark the present may look, the elect of God must know that the program of God is moving forward. God will have a church, and it will be a glorious church. The church says amen. That's what it will be. God's program is going forward. In the end, in the end, the Bible tells us, because we know the end, the Bible tells us in Revelations chapter 20 that the Lord will take that old devil that deceived them the world and cast him into a lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they shall be tormented day and night forever and forever. That is the end. Praise the Lord. This old devil, the old serpent, in the end, will be cast into that lake of fire that burns forever and forever. In the meantime, we're pilgrims in this world. We are the pilgrims walking by faith. We don't walk by sight. That life of faith, the reality of the life of faith, the reality of the life of faith. I want to touch on this for a few moments. The reality of the life of faith, the real world, the real faith that we live by every day. A fear sometimes is more than a fear, but I fear sometimes that the life of faith is often misrepresented by much of the modern preaching. It is misrepresented. People hear these messages often that they are psychology, philosophy, and they work on the emotions, but don't speak of the real life of faith, the real life of faith. And it's biblically unsound. It deals with the emotions. It gets you high, but then you leave, and you've got your battle to live every day. You're standing over a broken home. You're standing over wayward kids. You've got a broken heart. You have difficulties in the workplace. You have storms that have come into your house. And the motivation of speaking on the Sunday hasn't cut in to the area of the faith that overcomes and goes through. We are pilgrims. And often we see this motivational speaking. Actually, a lot of the preaching today is now called motivational or inspirational speaking. 
rather than preaching the gospel. You only have to go on the, the YouTube for a few moments and pick up all the leading lights of the so-called Christian world and all the titles and the messages are all about motivational speaking. Because we're good preachers of the gospel, not motivational speaking, men with the word of the Lord, a word from the throne of God that preaches the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus said, the greatest of all. In John 16 and 33, Jesus said, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. But in the world, he said, you shall have tribulation. We have peace, but in the world, we're going to have tribulation. That word means pressure, afflictions, anguish, burdens, trouble. Anybody know what the Lord's talking about? But he says, be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world. We're not exempt from these things, are we? Trouble, pressure, afflictions, anguish, burdens. Jesus told us that, and I believe this is going to rapidly increase, it already is on the increase, but in Luke chapter 21, verse 17, Jesus says, Ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Hated for my name's sake. And that venom is already coming forth. We're getting a little taster of it as this antichrist world begins to rise up and come against the church. You turn to John 15, verse 18, this is what Jesus said. John 15 and 18. We want you to be discouraged. I want us to be real this morning of the days we're in. John 15 and 18. This is how you're able to discern so much of what's happening in the church world today. Jesus said in John 15, 18, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If it were off the world, if ye were off the world, the world would love his own. And this is how you discern when you hear all these great men are being ushered on to the radio stations, speak on behalf of their support for the LGBT and all the rest of it, and their ministers of the gospel, so-called. But let me tell you, friends, when the Lord loved them, they're not off the Lord. It's very simple to discern these things. When the world are loving you, it's not off God. But because you're not of the world, the Bible says, I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hateth you. That's what Jesus said. As the world, as the church is trying to trip over itself today for the world to love it. I want to tell you, friends, this morning, we're here not to please men, we're here to please him. That is Jesus Christ. And in doing that, you're going to experience a world that's going to hate you. Hate you for the name of Christ. The world have bought into much of the modern faith preachers calling them motivational speakers rather than preachers of the gospel. Not only do they call them that, but this style of preaching has now set into the church or is seeping into the church of Jesus Christ. As long as you leave happy, as long as you leave with a bit of a buzz, but never deals with the real issues of life, of faith, of overcoming, of standing, of believing, of being filled with and endued with the power of the Holy Spirit, 
And above all, standing in this day, the world has brought this into the church, and the church, in many respects, have accepted it. And yet most of the motivational speaking in the pulpit today is a misrepresentation of the life of faith that you and I must live in these last days. Hebrews chapter 11, the life of faith. The book's real. If you turn over to Hebrews 11, verse 32, it says these words, look at the real life of faith. Hebrews 11 and verse 32. What shall I say more? For the time would fail me of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets. Verse 33. The three faiths of Jude kingdoms brought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed violent in fight, and turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, breathed the life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Verse 36 says these words, And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yet moreover of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. They were destitute. They were afflicted, they were tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts, in mountains, in dens, in caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should be not made perfect. We'll talk about that real life of faith, the real battles, the real struggles. Faith in God never means defeat, I believe that. But it does not mean that everything ends up the way that we want it to end up. The modern motivational speaking that's in most of the churches today is God just going to give you what you want. God just going to, but that's not faith. How many people know that? I want, I want us to be real this morning. We know that God will be faithful in every trial. How many people know that? God is faithful. In every battle that you go through, how many people know that God is faithful? He's promised in his word to never leave us nor forsake us, he will be with us even right to the very end. God is faithful. But we face these battles every day in our lives. I'm looking at faces this morning, lives this morning behind those faces, his families behind those faces, his battles, trials, disappointments, standing waiting for victories, healing, deliverance, lost loved ones being saved, tears being wept, Cries unto God, battles in the workplace, battles in, in, in the house, standing, believing the Lord and waiting for God to break through. Do we face such battles? Is it the reality of so many lives in this room? These are things that we wrestle with. 
We're wrestling with principalities and powers, darkness, wickedness. We stand in the need of a victory. We're standing on the promise. We're standing on the word. We're praying. We call out. We believe in the victory. We sang it this morning and thank God for the victories that he gives us in our lives. We need a victory in our home. Perhaps we're battling with a long-term illness. Family troubles. Standing, as I've said already, over a broken home. Faith in your heart and peace in your heart, but trials, troubles, tears, brokenness, emptiness. That's, that's the reality of faith. That people face mountains and giants and chains and struggles and, and feeling tormented in their mind with the things of the past or the things of the present or the things that they're knowing it's going to happen this week ago. God, I need a victory. The real life of faith isn't the bright lights and the shiny suits and, and all the nice things to say and everyone made up and looking the part. The real light of faith is really that there's those nights of those long dark nights where you pray on and pray through and weep and cry and call. You get up in the morning and you're empty. The victory hasn't come. You still love the Lord. You know you're seated in heavenly places with Christ. You know you have God in your heart. Your name's in the last book of life. You still have a song. You have the peace of God. But there's victories that you need in your heart and in your life. The real life of faith. The real life of battling with all of these things. And thank God for a place that we come and we enjoy the fellowship of God's people. And the, and the presence of the Lord and the songs of victory. And the word of God. And we thank God but we leave the church. We leave the gathering of God's people. And we have to live a life every day. We have to bow with those things that are happening and the disappointments of life and the bowels in our bodies, the bowels, the troubles and the ailments of our lives that we're crying out to God for a victory. And friends, often these motivational speakers bring us to a place of, of touching the emotions but not imparting the revelation of the purpose of God into the individual. That there's a purpose of God in all of what we go through. What happens, saints, when the victory's delayed? We maybe don't like talking about that in Pentecostal circles, but what happens when the victory doesn't? What happens when Jericho doesn't fall? You're not supposed to say that to your faith preacher. But what happens when the walls don't come down? What happens when Goliath's still standing? What happens, friends, when tomorrow morning the same problems there, the same giants there, the same mountains there, the same devils there, the same troubles there at work? What happens when you go to work tomorrow and that battle that you've been facing day and day, it's still there? And you sang the songs of Zion, you had a time of reprieve, I suppose, and refreshment, and we've sung, gird up your armor, you sons of Zion. Gird up your armor, let's go to war. With the high praises, keep singing it, keep believing it. With the high praises of God in our minds, and a two-edged sword, we're going to march right up. But tomorrow morning, you've got the same battle. What happens then? You've got the same giant. You've got the same tears. You've got the same sickness in your body. You've called for the elders of the church. 
They've anointed you with the oil in the name of the Lord. They believe for God to touch your body, but tomorrow you wake up and you're worse. Not because of the prayer of faith wasn't praying, but because there's a purpose of God in everything. In everything. The motivational speakers will hype it up and say it's your faith. It's not your faith. They say it's something wrong with you. It's nothing that's wrong with you, friend. And there's nothing wrong with God. But there's an eternal purpose of God in your life. When you go into battle against your enemy and you see the horses and the chariots, God speaking to Israel, they're about to enter into, into that land that's been promised, given to them by God. When you go in and you see the enemy and you see the horses and the chariots and the people, don't be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God is with thee. Don't be afraid. Listen, if I had a speaker and it was the loudest speaker ever, I would just go around the whole of this country saying, don't be afraid. I'd go into every church and shout, don't be afraid. But there's nobody there. I'd knock on every door and shout, don't be afraid. If you're a Christian, don't be afraid. What am I to dread? What am I to fear? I'm leaning on the everlasting arms of God. Don't be afraid of them. Why? Because God's with you. How many people know God's with you? How will you ever know he's the lily of the valley if you've never been in a valley? How will you ever know that he's the fourth man in the fire if you've never been in the fire? How will you ever know he's the one that bends the wave to cease and the winds to stop if you've never been in a storm? I am with thee, saith the Lord. Don't let your heart faint. Fear not, don't tremble. Don't be terrified because of them. Fear is coming. Fear is coming even in a greater sense than we've ever seen in this planet. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go to fight for you against your enemies and to save you. Israel. I mean, what a word he put in their hearts. They're about to pass over that Jordan. They have Jerichos, they have kings, they have armies that are greater than them, they have nothing. And they're about to cross over into that land to take it by faith. The Lord says, don't be terrified. For the Lord, your God, is with you. God had given the word. He said in Deuteronomy 7, When the Lord thy God shall bring you into the land where you go to possess it, cast out many nations before thee. I will cast out the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Pezzarites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, all these nations that are stronger than you. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and destroy them. God was going to give them a mighty victory. He gave them his word. But what happens? You see, all the revelation of God, I believe, is found in the cross. All the revelation will lead back to the cross of Jesus Christ. But what happens when the church is over? What happens when the meeting closes? What happens when the victory is delayed? What happens when it doesn't come the way you think it should come? What happens when he doesn't answer the way you want him to answer? What happens when the ground you should have taken hasn't been taken? I know this sounds defeatist. It's not. I want to show you something. 
What happens when the city, the stronghold, the Jericho, your Jericho, that you've walked around so many times that your head is dizzy, believing that the Jericho will come down? What happens when Jericho's walls are still up? What happens when the giant is still standing and you went in the name of the Lord and you believe the word of God and you know your peace in your heart and you're right with God? But what happens when it doesn't work out the way you think it should? Anyone ever been there? If you're a Christian, everyone who's a pilgrim will know that this is the way the life of faith is. The period of time from when you encounter the Jericho to when the victory comes is a place that we rarely preach about, but it's where most people are. Isn't it true? Is it not where most people actually are? The place from when you know God's given you the word and the place of where the Jericho is, the in-between is actually where most people are living. They're living before the victory. They're living before the walls have come down. They're living before the giant has fallen. They're living in that every day because there's a trial of their faith. God's trying our faith. What happens there? In between the promise and the victory, a place where it's very real. This time when this delay, if we're all very honest, we're probably not great with delays. We're probably not great with divine, and they are divine, divine delays. Do you know God, you must know this from a young believer right through in the life of a faith, life of faith, God will divinely, providentially insert delays into your walk for his purposes and for the trial of your faith. God inserts into your life of faith delays, divine delays. When it doesn't work out the way you want it to work out. And these divine delays are for the glory of Jesus, but to bring forth a greater revelation of the glories of God and a greater revelation of you and of me. Because it's often in this period that we find the most out about ourselves and we find the most out about him. God inserted with the children of Israel specific instructions that when they came to a time, a long time, when that victory was delayed, what they should do. If you're in Deuteronomy chapter 20, go right on down the chapter, and this is what the Lord said. I want you to see it this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 19. This is what it says. Now remember, God's already told them that he has given them the land and the cities and the kings and so forth. But now he gives them specific instruction in verse 19. When thou shalt besiege a city a long time. And this is different from Jericho. Something different happened. Jericho came down. Remember, they marched around the walls seven times, and then on the seventh day, seven times, and they let up a great shout. What happened? All the walls came down. And now God says, When you should besiege a city a long time and making war against it to take it, thou shalt not destroy the trees thereof by forcing an axe against them. For thou mayest eat of them, and thou shalt not cut them down. For the tree of the field is man's life. 
to employ them in the siege. So there's a grace in the pilgrim's walk, and when the resistance come to the way forward, there are trees that God had planted, that God had put there at the city, and those trees were for the purpose of giving life to Israel. There was a delay in the victory. Now I've got a prop this morning. Adrian must have known that I had this prop because he's moved from the front row down to the back row. So he must have had an insight of what's going to happen. But I don't want you to be afraid. And I don't want you to go out this morning. There's a crazy pastor in there. He's got an axe. But I do have an axe. I'm not going to wield it. But I'm going to show you what happens. When we come in, this is what the benefits are living with a tree surgeon. When we come in, Adrian, I'm not going to do a Gilbert. This is better than mine. God says, when you come in, maybe <coughs> draw closer. <laughs> when you come in, that city won't go, and that victory won't come. God says, I want you to be very careful. You see, when we get delayed, you know what we often do with the axe? See when it's not working out the way we want it to work out? Come on. Don't sit there and pretend it doesn't happen. When it's not going the way we think it should and the walls haven't come down and Jericho hasn't crumbled and the giant hasn't fallen, do you know what we do? We take the axe because we know God said you can take those trees down. But you know what we do? We take everything down with it. We actually go to work on every tree that is around it because God hasn't come through the way we wanted God to come through. So what we do is, we're going in to take the city. The city's not moving. The city's not moving. The enemy's not budging. The circumstance isn't changing. Young people, you need to listen this morning because this is what we do. This is why so many have walked away from the faith. It hasn't worked out for me the way God said it should. So what we do is we take the axe to everything. I'm finished with God. I'm finished with church. I'm finished with walking that life of faith. Didn't work out for me. Works out for them, but not for me. And God's saying, you've got to hold on. Because your victory, you have to learn how victories come. You have to learn that when there's a resistance and when there's a delay to the victory, that God is dealing with your heart and with your life, and there's something of the revelation of the cross of Christ that he wants to reveal to you, and the motivational speakers don't speak about the cross. They don't speak about a death. They don't speak about specifics. And you've got to deal with some things where the acts right down at the very root. There's only certain trees that you're to take down. Don't take them all down. Just take certain trees down. What happens in the trial? What happens often in the time when it doesn't work out? People say things like, that's it. I've tried this. It's not working out the way I want it to work out, so what I'm going to do is, I'm going to destroy everything around me. I'll take the axe to every root. I'll just wipe everything out. I'm done with this. It doesn't work. Paul spoke of a great trouble in his life. Do you know what he said? He said, I sought the Lord about this 
three times to call the apostle. He had something that was known as a thorn in the flesh. Now a thorn in the flesh is a very irritating thing. If you've ever had a thorn, a thorn in your flesh, it's a very irritating thing. It's like a scalp get into you and you want to get that thing out because it irritates you. Paul talked about a thorn in his flesh. This is Paul the Apostle. And he began to seek the Lord for a victory over this thorn in his flesh. He began to seek the Lord that God would remove it from him. But the Lord didn't. Three times he prayed. Was it a question of his faith? No. He said, three times I sought the Lord that it might depart from me. And the Lord said, in all of that delay, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, he says, therefore, I'll glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may come upon me. Now we're seeing something of the glories of the cross. Paul, I'm not going to take this thorn from you. Why? Because I'm working something of my grace in your life. But greater than that, the power of Christ will rest on you. Lord, just take it all away. Lord, just put all the trees down. Lord, just give me this city. Let's get this over with. Those trees that were planted by the Lord at the city, where there was a long, you know what it says? It says, when thou shalt besiege a city a long time. How many people are standing at a place where you've been waiting a long time for a victory? A long time. Some in this room this morning have been sitting waiting years for an answer. Years. Some in this room this morning have been waiting decades for a specific answer. Waiting and longing and believing that God would break through. In all of that, there were trees that were specific that had fruit. And the reason that those, that those trees were there was to sustain them in the time of the battle, in the delay. Delay can bring, of course, impatience. It can bring knee-jerk decisions. When we see the resistance and the devil resisting us. But it sometimes may be nothing to do with the devil, but what God is doing and his purposes in our lives. Because those trees that he planted were for life. And if you take the axe to everything, then there's no victory. And there's no life given to you to sustain you in the time of delay. Discernment and maturity will show us not to destroy the trees that are given us life, but the trees only that are dead or produce bad fruit. He said in verse 20, only the trees, your discernment, only the trees which thou knowest that they be not trees for meat. Thou shalt destroy them and cut them down, but not the trees that give you fruit. Won't you listen carefully? I'm going to talk for a few moments about roots. When you listen very carefully, I want to talk about roots. You see, when the axe is laid on the tree, 
Do you know where it's put? It has to be put on the root. The problem for so many is that we haven't put the axe to the root of the issue. And we're waiting on the victory. But there's a delay to that victory. And now God is beginning to work in your life. And now God's beginning to mold and make you and deal with you according to his grace and his purposes for your life. And what he wants is by the grace of God, only the trees which you know, this is what it says, only the trees that you know, the trees that are not for the meat, cut them down. Take those trees out and live off the fruit of the trees that give the good fruit. The danger of getting in and wiping everything out is that we miss what God's going to do in our lives. So he's wanting you to look at the roots, discerning the trees or the roots that must be uprooted or taken down in the time of waiting for the victory and eat of the fruit but let God do a work in our hearts. Look at Matthew chapter 3 and verse 9. Because friends, this morning, we've got to take out the old trees that produce no fruit or produce bad fruit. Matthew chapter 3 verse 9. Think not to say within yourselves we have Abraham for our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree that bringeth forth good fruit is hewn down, not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. What happens? And he baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I. Whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear, he'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. God's wanting to uproot some things because, in his divine purpose of uprooting or cutting down the dead trees, he's going to fill you with the power of his spirit. But the tree, the root has to be taken out first. And I know this is where we come up to resistance. This is where we come up to places in our lives and in our hearts. Here this morning, there are some roots in this room, not that I know personally, I'm just saying in a general this moment in the spirit, that there are roots in this room that have been part of people's lives for decades. Decades. Dead trees producing bad fruit. Destroying everything that's around us. Do you know that those old roots destroy? Anyone know that? Those roots that go down and bring forth that dead tree, do what happens? It destroys everything. This is what the Bible says if you turn over to Hebrews 12 and verse 15. Dealing with roots this morning. Hebrews 12 and 15. Looking diligently, lest any man would feel of the grace of God, lest, lest any root of bitterness, hatred, that's what that means, springing up trouble you, and thereby. Many, many, the Bible says, be defined. That there's actually roots that can get into your life 
that are dead trees but produce bad fruit, and when they get in, that we would fail of God's grace, and a root of bitterness, that word means hatred, springing up would trouble you, and therefore, or thereby, many are being contaminated or poisoned. Why? Because there wasn't an axe put to the root of the issue. Now listen very carefully, friends, because this is so important. It is not God's purpose for any one of his followers, any one of his children, to be overcome with a root of bitterness. That's not his purpose. That's not his plan. But you know today in the world that we're living in, that we meet so many that are filled, so many that are filled with hatred, that are professing Christians. We wonder why there's no move of the Holy Ghost. We wonder why there's no revival. We wonder why the power of God's not ripping through the churches and signs and wonders follow them to believe. We want to blame the devil. I want to tell you, friends, we can chase the devil up and down Main Street until the cows come home. But the real issue is not the issue of what the enemy is doing. The real issue is the roots that are in the depths of people's hearts. Poison. Holding on to unforgiveness. Hatred. Hatred. I hear this word all the time. I hate them. I'm not in my home, but I hear it out in the streets. We're filled with people that are hating one another. We have a world that hates each other. And we have a church now that's so divided and there's so much unforgiveness amongst it. And we're crying, God, we need a revival. And I say, amen to that. We need a Holy Ghost revival. We need the power of God to sweep in. But you know what's crippling the church, friends? It's roots where the axe has not been put to and it's filled with bitterness and hatred and unforgiveness. The Bible says in 1 Timothy verse, chapter 6 and verse 10, For the love, the love of money, is the root of all evil. And this is what it says, Which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through many sorrows. The love of money. You don't have to be rich to have a love for money. You know that, don't you? You see the money running in. I seen some advert up somewhere, the biggest one ever, some lottery or something. I don't know what it is. I don't really care what it is. The biggest one maxed out a couple of hundred million. Really? People are running. People are running in to try and get their number on Saturday night or whatever other night it's on because they believe that if they get their 200 million, that's going to make me happy. What does the Bible say? What should a prophet a man if he gains the world and loses his soul? The love of money. The root of all evil is the love of money. And some have coveted this Paul writes to Timothy and said, and have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through many sorrows. People have pierced themselves because of their love. Their love for money to pierce themselves. There's many sorrows that have come. Do you know that drive has been brought into people has destroyed marriages, has destroyed homes, has destroyed people. People will walk over one another just for an extra pound. This world, this rat race. 
And so there's many with these roots. The Bible says, now listen to what it says, only the trees which thou knowest, only the trees which thou knowest, the ones that you know. Don't be thinking about someone else's tree, by the way. Because what happens here is often, often people are thinking, they've got some tree in their heart. Hopefully God gives them a thing. But what about your heart? Well, I hope the big man there, he gets his heart sorted. I hope I do, but what about yours? The root, the bitterness, the pride, the jealousy, the loose tongue. What about the tongue? What about the tongue? You know there's a tree, you know what it's called? It could be called the man's tongue, but it's called the woman's tongue. You know what it's called that? The tree that's over in other parts of the world. Because on the tree there's a fruit, there's pods, and in the pods there's little bits of fruit. And when the wind blows, the whole tree rattles. Sounds like someone gossiping. Friends, I wonder if the church in Northern Ireland alone was cleansed of its gossip and their mouths were filled. Tommy Taylor put it the best way ever when there was a delegation sent down of non-Pentecostal, non-baptism in the Holy Ghost, non-tongue-speaking believers went down to warn him about coming near a Pentecostal church because they speak in tongues. And Tommy said, there's a lot of tongues among the hedge. But I have no problem with these type of tongues. Amen. Poor wise man. Do this time has been destroyed. The witness, the witness, I don't put us outside of it, I put us on with it, in it. But the witness and the testimony of Jesus Christ has been tarnished by the church of Jesus Christ, not by the devil. Because tongues, not the Holy Ghost tongues, Get filled with the Holy Ghost and you will speak in tongues, praise the Lord. But the other tongues, nobody's no problem with that. And the bitterness and the hatred that trouble you, and many are defiled and contaminated because there's trees at the city that we haven't taken down. God says the trees that you know that they're not for meat, they're not for life. Take these trees down. Lay the axe to the root of these trees. Take out the bitterness. Take out the gossip. Take out the envy. Take out the jealousy. Take out all of those things. Take it out. God says, there'll come a time that you'll be able to subdue the sin. What's happening when the resistance to God's purpose comes and the giant you face in the walls that you're marching around don't fall? You've got to know something that there's a purpose of God. Don't take every tree down, just the ones you know need to be taken down. What do you do with the trees, the bad trees that you take down? You know what it says? 
It says, there thou shalt build bulwarks against the city that maketh war with thee until it's subdued. In other words, see the bad trees you take down? You use them to build a bulwark as a tower against the enemy. What the enemy is meant for evil is turned around for good, and you use that against the power of darkness. <coughs> what the enemy is doing to destroy, take that, build a tower, and then go against the enemy, and there will be a time when they subdue it. These trees can be used against the enemy, and we're willing to put the axe to the very root until it all be subdued. And here's what the Lord would say this morning when I'm coming to a close. There are people in this room, by the mercy and the grace of God, that there are roots that God, the Holy Spirit, is here this morning to uproot by His grace and to give you the victory and to turn the bitter water sweet and to bring a healing into your heart and a healing into your mind and a healing into your home and the streams of salvation to flow again if you are willing. If you are willing to allow God to put the axe by the grace of God, it's not going to be my handles, my handle on the handle, it's going to be the Holy Ghost with the grace of God that will come right in to uproot that bitterness. To take out the tree that produces death, that you may eat off the tree that brings forth life. That's Christ, that's the cross. God wants you this morning to surrender that heart and bring that life before him that he may take up the root. He wants to deal with the root this morning. And then the power of God is able to rest and to move effectively in your life. Friends, I want to tell you, there's nothing like when God deals with the roots. And if you're a believer, you're a child of God, and you've walked with Him, I'm going to tell you something. You will have experienced times in your life when God has put His hand on things that are roots, and by the grace of God, He's been able to pull them up and flood that soul with His grace. He says the trees that you know, and listen carefully, the trees that you know, you know, you know those trees are in that heart, you know those trees are in that journey of faith, you know they're there. And God said, what I want to do this morning is by my grace and my help, I want you to take an axe and I want you to put that axe right down at the root of that tree and by my grace I'll pull that tree right up with all the bitterness and all the hatred that there is with it and all the sorrow that is brought and I'll flood that heart again with my healing streams and I'll do a work that you can't even imagine I can do. If you're willing, if you're willing, if you're willing. See, we have to be willing. If you're willing. The victory that he brings is so precious, it's so great, it's so mighty, it's so wonderful that we'll wonder why we held back the axe for so many years. The only reason we'll hold the axe back, friend, is because of the pride that's in our hearts. To refuse to allow God, the Holy Spirit, to bring the effects of the cross, the fullness of the work of the cross into our hearts.
When he goes, you know the wonderful thing is after every death, you know what there is? The resurrection. The resurrection. Why the delay? God's doing an amazing work. God's been long. Praise the Lord. God works with us so patiently. But do you know there's a tree that needs uprooted? Do you know there's a tree that needs uprooted? Nine moments. Do you know this morning, friend, God by His Spirit wants to uproot that tree and may the power of Christ come upon you. Friends, I believe when David Ravenhold stood on that platform next door all those years ago, he said, The one thing that holds the hands of God from moving across this land today is not how great the devil is. He said, It's unforgiveness. Amongst God's people. I believe that to be true. May God help me. And may God help us all. But may God come this morning and bring a healing in the lives. The tree that thou knows. The tree that thou knows. This morning, we will allow God to put the axe to the root. Let's pray together.